Well, welcome to our back to school service for 2023. It's always a wonderful service. And I know a lot of here, a lot of the children here today, there's lots of different feelings of anticipation, maybe maybe nervous, excited, um, but it's a wonderful time to be together in the house of God before school goes back. And as Pastor Jonathan said, I do want to thank everyone who is here who doesn't have children with us. I thank you for being in he here today. Thank you for your support and your prayers for our children. Because when we dedicate our children, what do we all as a church asked to do. We're asked that we would pray and we would dedicate ourselves to be an example to those little tiny babies. So this is part of what we have promised to do in those dedication services, to be together praying for the children because we are, we are a family. So right back at the very beginning of the Bible, we know we read about creation. And our, our imaginations can only wonder what those days were like. Have you ever read Genesis chapter 1 and thought, can you imagine being there and seeing God say, let there be light and there was light? Or just galaxies appear or planets spinning, land forming, the great oceans can we really imagine? We get to see creation, but imagine seeing it being created, all the animals being created, the big, the magnificent ocean animals, the birds, the, the plants, the flowers. Just imagine seeing all of that happen. It, it's, we can't really comprehend it, can we? But, you know, God looked at all of what he did after those five days and he said it was good. But you know, on the next day, he declared that creation very good. God's greatest creation. The union between a man and woman. He created man and woman, the very first family. And he said it was very good. That's amazing. God's greatest creation. And today, or in this month, the month of February, we do have family month. It's become a bit of a tradition for us at Calvary Chapel because we know how important family is to God. And throughout the Bible, we continue to see how very important family is to God. We see how God saved Noah and his family. We think about Abraham, the story of Abraham. God's solution was a family, a great nation that would come through the family of Abraham and be blessed. We see the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, uh, Jacob and Joseph, all great stories of God's goodness, his blessing, his grace, his mercy and forgiveness we know. The family of Jesse, David and Solomon. Hannah's story and the beginning of her family. Ruth's story is based in a family. Families are important to God. God himself chose to come to earth through a family. Family is important. I heard a quote someone said just the other week. 
Our family is God's greatest weapon and Satan's greatest target. There's a bit of a warning for us. A family is God's greatest weapon, but it is Satan's greatest target. And we know in today's world, it's so easy to become concerned and for parents even fearful when we think about the great responsibility that we have to bring children up in this world. Because it's not the same world that I grew up in or that my parents grew up in. It's a different world. We can feel the working of Satan and the pull of the world all around us. But I am so glad, like we sang, God has no rival. He has no equal. And the, the world, Satan, yes, yes, he's a, he's a threat. He's, he targets our family. But he's not equal with God. He is not. And he, we have God with us. So I want to encourage you today that the family is God's greatest weapon. And we are there in that family responsible for that family. So this morning I'd like to take a bit of time to talk about a certain family in the Bible and in particular the father of that family and his name was Jonadab. Before I go into the story of Jonadab I just want to get a bit of a, a um, background to what was happening. So we first read about Jonadab or sometimes he's called Jehonadab which have a translation in the book of 2 Kings chapter 10 and it's around the time of prophet Elisha. Now this is not the same Jonadab earlier in the Bible around David's time um, with Amnon. This is a, a different Jonadab. So at this time in the Bible, remember the Israelites were God's people and Israel had split into the northern kingdom that was called Israel and the southern kingdom that was called Judah. And there were kings for each of those kingdoms. Around this time of Jonadab, Israel had been led by a very wicked king called Ahab and then followed by his two sons, Ahaziah and Jehoram. They were his sons and they were very, very wicked kings. At this time there was great spiritual and cultural wickedness and this wickedness went through the whole of Israel. God's people had turned to the idolatrous worship of Baal under King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. There were a faithful few who struggled to live a righteous life in the middle of this great wicked time. Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, she worshipped Baal and she brought Baalism into the northern kingdom with her husband's approval. 1 Kings 16.30 says, Now Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. 1 Kings 21.25 says, But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up and he behaved very abominably in following idols. So Baal worship, of all the idolatry that the Israelites came into contact with, Baal was one that they struggled with the most. And through King Ahab and his son's reign, their idolatry, the spiritual, political, social and moral decline destroyed the culture of the Israelites, God's people, the, the society that they lived in. And maybe that's a bit familiar to us at the moment. 
Prophets had prophesied of the destruction of Israel because of their wickedness and disobedience. God called Elijah and Elisha, the great prophets, to a lifelong ministry of defeating Jezebel and the prophets of Baal and restoring the true worship to Israel. So after the end of Elisha's ministry, Elisha had a man named Jehu anointed to be the new king of Israel. And it was his goal to completely remove the worship of Baal in the kingdom. So Jehu was a captain of the army at that time, and he was a worshipper of God. He was decisive and passionate and quick to action. His focus was on ridding Israel of the evil legacy of King Ahab. Although Jehu wasn't all that great, he had some issues himself, his main purpose of cleansing Israel of the worship of Baal was his complete focus. And this is where we come to Jonadab. So in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 15 and 17, this is where we first read about Jonadab. As the king Jehu, he was only newly king, he drove towards his mission. Remember, he was going there to get rid of all the worshippers of Baal, the priests, everything. He wanted to just get rid of everyone. So he was on his way to do that. He stopped his chariot to challenge one Israelite who came out to meet King Jehu. After King Jehu greeted Jonadab there along the road, he asked him one clear question. Is your heart right as my heart is towards your heart? So this one simple statement, it tells us that Jehu was aware of Jonadab's passion for God. He stopped his chariot to talk to him. And he agreed with him. King Jehu needed to know if this man's zeal was the same as his in the matter of the worshippers of Baal who were still in Israel. Is your heart, your inner man, your mind and your will right? Other translations say, is your heart one with mine? Is integrity in your heart? You and I think alike. You are in accord with me. Are you as loyal as me? Is your heart true to my heart? And without hesitation, you can read, Jonadab answered, it is. Jehu responded, if it is, then give me your hand. He reached out his hand and Jonadab joined him on the chariot. Jehu urged him, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Jonadab's actions here showed that his heart did burn like Jehu's for Israel's purity and he had that desire for them to return to God. So the two men rode on together and although there was an army with Jehu to do what he needed to do, it's only Jonadab's name that is mentioned in this story. So it seems like Jehu, Jonadab became kind of Jehu's aide in here. On this day that they went, and you can later on read all about it, Jehu and his, and his army destroyed all of ba the Baal worshippers and the priests and destroyed the, the altar to, the, um, to Baal and they actually turned the temple into a public toilet, which is a bit interesting. But because of King Jehu's faithfulness in getting rid of Baal throughout Egypt, the northern kingdom, it stood for another 120 years. 
It was destroyed as the prophets had prophesied, but it had been delayed because of their, their actions on that day. So what do we know about Jonadab from this tiny little story? The Bible tells us very little about him. We don't know his occupation, his education, his hobbies. We don't know the names of his children. He was faithful to God in a time where there was great, great wickedness and most of God's people had fallen into compromise or turned their backs on God. We know he was trustworthy. The king recognised something in Jonadab and made him want Jonadab by his side at this integral time. Jonadab wanted nothing to do with the wickedness of the time. He was quick to act on his convictions. And this is an important part to Jonadab's story, but it's definitely not the end of the story or even the most significant part of Jonadab's story. And to find out more about him, we have to actually go 250 years ahead in time to the book of Jeremiah to find out more. So thinking of those two kingdoms, the southern kingdom had remained somewhat faithful to God through that time. But then we get to a point in time, 250 years later, when there is a new prophet, Jeremiah, who's giving the same warnings as the northern kingdom received. He was warning about their wickedness and disobedience and future destruction of the southern kingdom. So if we go to Jeremiah 35, we won't read all of that, but it's in that chapter um, that we're looking at. At this time, Jeremiah came to the people and he gave a bit of an object lesson. And if you've been to Sunday school or you know maybe some classes, they sometimes do object lessons to get a point across, maybe a little science experiment or something so you can actually visually see and, and make the link to what's being taught. So Jeremiah, that's what he did. He came to the people to warn them of their disobedience, their idolatry, and he had this little object lesson. So this is 250 years after Jonadab, that happened with Jonadab. Jeremiah ordered the descendants of Jonadab into the temple in Jerusalem. And there he poured wine for them. Maybe surprisingly to those that were there, the descendants of Jonadab declined the wine. And in verse 6 we can read, it was because of their father Jonadab. 250 years previously, a man who probably nobody really knew there, he led his family with the instruction that none of them should ever drink wine, build houses, sow seeds or plant vineyards. Apparently their family were meant to remain sober, live in tents and herd sheep. So for Jonadab, if we think of this man, he had heard the words of Elijah and Elisha. He knew that Israel would fall. And he decided that his family must remain able to flee the destruction and invasion of the foreign armies. It was only in the moment of Jeremiah's challenge that we learn anything about that, that he gave that command. Jeremiah knew Jonadab's family were obedient and faithful and he used this as a rebuke to the people there. 
So here's evidence of the family of Jonadab that they had survived the destruction and the captivity of Israel. While Israel had fallen, there were strong and faithful families like Jonadab's who had risen in those difficult times. His descendants had learned not only the rules that he had designed, but also the reason for those rules. Jonadab had instructed his children to hear and believe the word of the Lord through the prophets and to act as if those words were going to come to pass. He had taught his family to be prepared to flee the destruction that would come and to escape for refuge in Judah. And even now we see that spiritual decline in Judah, they still maintained their father's rules and continued to listen to the prophets. At the end of the scripture, you can read there, um, Jeremiah pronounced God's blessing on the family of Jonadab concerning his children. Jonadab never heard God's blessing on his family in such an amazing way, but it all began with him leading his family because he had built a godly family legacy in a time of cultural and spiritual decline. The roots had gone deep into his family. And with God's help, that leadership produced faithfulness in his descendants as far reaching as 250 years later. And they say that that's around eight generations after that father gave those things. So we can read at the end of that portion of scripture, Jeremiah 35, 18 and 19, the promise. Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and according to all that he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. What a promise to say, you know, if someone told me, Melanie, there's going to be, never lack someone in your family that stands before me and serves me. What, what an amazing promise as parents, as grandparents to have. So because of Jonadab's faithful leadership and his children's faithful obedience, God promised, God gave that promise to them. So what can we learn from this incredible story in the Bible? The first thing is that Jonadab believed the word of the Lord. We can read um, lots of prophecies about the destruction of, of Israel. And these words were warning prophecies of judgment. When Jonadab heard the judgment spoken against Israel, he believed them. And then he ordered his life and he prepared for his family accordingly. Jonadab listened carefully to the word of the Lord and he was a doer of the word. Parents, we need to find ourselves in the word. We need to listen to the word of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. We can't look anywhere else for truth. There's no such thing as my truth. There's no such thing as your truth. Jesus is truth. When we believe the word of God, we need to prepare ourselves and our family. We need to act as though the words of God will come to pass. 
The word of God should produce an action in our lives. So what are you filling your life with, your mind with and your heart with? Because the more we listen to the things of the world, it's harder to hear the voice of God. We do need to teach our families the word of God. It is our foundation and it has to be the thing that guides us. Not the latest trend, not the latest political movement. We have to understand the significance of the word of God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever and his word will never ever be outdated. We can stand on it with confidence knowing it's the truth. So what does the Bible say? We have to ask that question and we have to think about what we're providing our children with. We need to bring our children to Sunday school. Our children learn Bible stories and application of those in Sunday school. We need to encourage our teens to be involved and attend youth services and camps and that's a wonderful thing. They will hear the word of God and they will feel the presence of God in those times with their, their peers. But to have the word of God taught and exemplified in our homes is what we need to do as parents. Even in the busyness of life, I know about it, we need to work out a way that this becomes a priority in our homes. Whether it's a morning devotion just as everyone leaves, maybe it's taking the time when everyone's at the dinner table to spend some time in God's word before bed praying, reading a Bible story before bed, whatever it is, encourage um, habits in young people with little devotion books, whatever it is, we need to make sure we're doing our part in our home. And I think there's a, a slide, the next slide, um, there's just a very quick, you might want to get a photo or write down, these are some of the things that I have loved and I have used. I just grabbed them for all different times of throughout my boys um, growing up, younger ones. Um, that book, I Am, that was one we read through a couple of times with Thomas just before night time. It just goes through books of the Bible, um, stories of the Bible with the application. Um, that one called Foundations is uh, for some older children. Um, that the one, the family one, I can't read what, it, the family devotional, that's a new one that I got from um, Pentecostal Publishing House. You can probably find that online. We'll do that this year. Um, I encourage you to find a good Bible that kids can understand. Um, that Bible there um, with the picture of Jesus, I think that's a contemporary English version Bible. It's got pictures. I find that one very good to read with children, to read stories through with children. Just some things. We need to make the time. We're all busy. I was challenged last year. Um, you know, we all say, I'm busy, I've, I don't have time. And I heard something. Instead of saying, I don't have time to do whatever, in our minds we need to think, I didn't make time to do whatever and it really it puts us back it back on us instead of I didn't have time to do devotion with the kids this morning if we say I didn't make time to do devotion with the kids this morning it really does change our focus because we all have the same amount of time right. we all do so it's about priority so Jonadab he believed the word of God the second thing he did 
He had a zeal for holiness. We need to let our children see that we draw that line and that we are zealous for holiness. John Adab had an extraordinary passion for God's holiness. He jumped on that chariot and went without a, a blink of an eye. He wanted things done. He was zealous and he knew that he wanted that idolatry out of the kingdom. John 2, 15 to 17 says, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing by, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We can't be swayed by the currents of this world. James 1.8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We need to be zealous for the things of God. Zealous means a dedication or enthusiasm for something. If you have a zeal, you're willing, energised and you're motivated. Do our children see a zealous Christian in us? We do need to stand for holiness. Holiness is to be set apart and sanctified. We can't allow any part of the world to seep into our homes. How do you think God's children, the Israelites, how do you think they turned into a nation of worshippers of some golden bull? <laughs> that's, that's what he was, a bull. How do you think that happened? That doesn't just happen overnight. It happens slowly and by slowly opening our homes to small things. We have to be really, really careful. So we need to be careful in everything, what we watch, what we allow into our homes, through devices, whatever it is. The more our children see, the less shocking those things are and the more desensitised they become. We as parents need to educate ourselves because things are changing so quickly. We need to educate ourselves about different apps and games and websites that our kids have. Um, we are to be different and separate. Worldliness, idolatry should not be a part of who we are. We can't ignore that our kids will see things when they go out, but we need to counter that with the things of God. The third thing that we can learn from Jonadab is that he ordered his family life around the word of God. Jonadab, his zeal wasn't only to see God's enemies um, gone, but he had a zeal to preserve his family. And this is the most amazing thing. He wanted his family safe. So he ordered certain things so that they would be prepared to be able to be in safety when they needed to. And it worked. His plan worked for 250 years. So every family, all, you know, we're all made up of smaller families here. We all have our own little culture and habits and things that we do. We might, we might have spaghetti on Monday nights. We might make sure kids are in bed by a certain time. Maybe we go to grandparents for Saturday afternoon. Whatever it is, we all have things that we do to make our families unique. And the Christian family needs to include habits of godliness in their home and have a clear plan of how that's passed on. Why would we 
you know, we come to church, we know we've got great testimonies of what God has done in our lives. Why would we just keep it to ourselves and just let our children find their own way? We obviously wouldn't do that. We want to share this amazing life that we have. As a faithful worshipper of God, Jonadab set house rules. In order for these rules to have their impact, Jonadab's children would also have to live by those rules and then teach them to the next generation. So what rules do you have in your family? What have you prayerfully seeked God for in your family? We are the parent of our family. We are responsible for our family and we need to do that job the best we can. It's not, it's not a bad thing to set boundaries. <laughs> boundaries are very important. Boundaries with device use and social media and, and not, you know I was meant to speak at conference about social media and Brother Morty stepped in and did his wonderful message that he did at the end of last year. We know the importance of setting boundaries and setting ex our expectations for our family. It's not a bad thing to say no. It's not a bad thing to say later on. It's not a bad thing. You know, I know we can be in this thing where, you know, our kids are saying, but everyone's doing this. Everyone's got this. It's not fair. And it, sometimes it does get to us, but it is not a bad thing to have boundaries and to say no. You can't have an anything goes attitude. Set them. No devices in the bedroom at night. Because things can happen. Things can happen and we want to protect our homes and our children. Be home by a certain time in the evening. At home we speak kindly to each other. We don't speak like this. We celebrate achievements in our home. When you've done something well, we'll do this celebration together. We have a family evening when we eat together and spend time with each other. We maximise time with other Christians, other like-minded people who can have a godly influence in our family. The family is an institution ordained by God from the beginning of creation. And whilst society might break down, a hedge can be built around our family for, for protection. God loves family, it's his will, it's a good thing. And a family's holiness and obedience to God adds strength to their protection. Remember, the family is God's greatest weapon, but it's also God's, uh, Satan's greatest target. We have to be inten intentional how we protect our family. We need to have a culture in our family of forgiveness and grace. I need that as a parent, and our kids need to know they have that. Our families need to be a safe place for open discussion when they're not going to be judged or put down for what they say. It needs to be an environment where our kids can come to us when and if something goes wrong. It needs to be a place they want to be in and find comfort and unconditional love. A place where we walk together through tough times with understanding, mercy and grace. We know the promise that Jeremiah gave Jonadab and our challenge today is to have that kind of Christian family legacy that we can pass on. So pray together, read the Bible together, serve together, be intentional 
It doesn't just happen. Through God's grace, he will be with us and he will give us the guidance that we need as parents because we all need it. There is no perfect parent and daily I ask God to forgive me and to be with me again, to give me the strength for another day. So for all the children here, it's back to school and I know you've listened to a lot about parents and what they should do and be. But, you know, I'm so proud of the young the young people and children in our church because I know and I thought it would have been so lovely to have different ones come in and give testimonies because I know there's been young people who have stood up for things that they have been taught. They've been strong enough at school and with their friends to stand up for what they believe in. But kids, obedience, and we don't like sometimes that word, we hear it all the time that we have to obey, but obedience is the greatest thing that you can do because it's about protection. You see, about Jonadab's family, his children obeyed and they were protected. We have to be careful when you go to school that you're not just blending in with the way of the world and allowing things of the world, thought patterns, habits, come into your life. What does that look like? That looks like not talking inappropriately or laughing at inappropriate jokes. It means not making fun of other people. It's okay to be different. It's okay to be the one that calls out meanness. It's okay to include someone who looks lonely or sad. Sometimes we worry so much what will happen if we do try to be different, but it's good. God is with us. We need to have that zeal for God in everything that we do. And what an encouragement for all of us, for parents, to see a family in the Bible, to see a father who put things in place, who was not afraid to protect his family. When everyone else was doing different things, other things, Jonadab stood for what he knew, for what he heard from the prophets. He put things in place for his family and they were protected. So as we, we pray this morning together, we can be confident that knowing when we're partnering with God, when we're doing what we should be doing, God will step in and He will provide that protection and safety for our, our children this year. Amen. Amen. We want to be like Jonadab. You know, he told his, told his children, he said, don't go drinking any wine. He said, destruction's coming. You've got to be ready. Your mind's got to be set on the right things. And he said, don't, don't go building any houses, dwell in tents. He said, you know, destruction's coming. And, and the same is Jesus is coming back, church. We want to make sure our children have their minds right. Amen. And that they're not clinging to the things of this world. You know, this world is not my home. We're just passing through. So don't put your roots down here. Don't get too comfortable here. Because Jesus is coming back.